Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading and preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, we do come to you. We know that we do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the Father's mouth. So we pray this morning, Lord, that you would nourish our souls by the work of your word in our hearts through the power of your spirit. We want our eyes to be turned towards Jesus from all the cares and concerns of this life, all the anxieties that we have been filled with this week. We want to see Jesus. So we pray that you would make him clear to us. It's in Christ's name that we ask. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning is Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. And you'll find that on page 847 of the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. This is the very end of Jesus' journey to the city of Jerusalem for the last time for the Passover feast. We're told, and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. He cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I remember when I was growing up as a child, I had good vision. And when I was maybe 10 or 11, I was tested. I can't remember if it was at school or if I went to the eye doctor And at the time, I had better than 20-20 vision. And I thought to myself, well, there's one thing in life I won't have to worry about. Until I got into college. And then I sat in the back of a 300-person auditorium and began to squint a little bit. And thought, well, maybe I just need to blink a little bit more and things will get clear again. Then a few years later, after graduating from college, I went on to seminary. And during seminary, you read quite a bit. I can remember reading lots of books with small, fine print, and after a while, I couldn't read quite so well. And I finally went to the doctor, and I had astigmatism in both eyes. I didn't want to believe it. Surely not. Not me. And it was true, and I've been wearing glasses or at least contacts ever since. And it was my own pride that said, no, this will not be what my fate is. I will have good eyes. I'm sure of it. That wasn't to be. The disciples thought that they had clear vision as well, and their vision has been tested throughout the book of Mark, as we have seen. Over and over, various tests have come their way, and what has happened is that their eyesight, spiritual eyesight, has been proven to be faulty. Just prior to this, you remember from last week, if you were here, the request of James and John to be the greatest in the kingdom. 
their spiritual eyesight wasn't so keen. And even here, what we see is a blind man named Bartimaeus, who ironically has clearer spiritual sight than the disciples have. Here, the crowd that is around Bartimaeus keeps him from coming to Jesus. The very opposite thing that Jesus would have them do. Jesus oftentimes put up roadblocks for the proud and for the arrogant. But for those who are humble, who come to him in faith, he welcomes every single one of them. And yet the crowd is telling him to be silent. And the disciples are part of this because they don't yet clearly have eyes to see. What do we see that Bartimaeus sees? Two things. First, he sees himself in a desperate condition. He sees himself in a desperate condition. This is the time of the Passover feast. Pilgrims are coming from all over the land of Israel to Jerusalem that they might celebrate the feast together. And one of the primary ways to get to Jerusalem was through Jericho. And we read that Jesus has now come to Jericho with his disciples. And as they are leaving Jericho on their way up, they would go up the 18-mile incline that would take them up 3,500 feet from the low-lying city of Jericho up to Jerusalem. That's far greater than climbing up from Spartanburg up here to Hendersonville. And during that time, what had become tradition is that they would sing psalms of ascent. Maybe you have heard of these, Psalms 120 through 134. And on the way, the pilgrims would sing together these psalms that express the various uh, spiritual experiences that pilgrims would have along the way as they go up to worship God and to observe the Passover feast, that particular feast that reminded them of how God had saved His people through the Exodus and provided a lamb for them to cleanse them of their sin. Bartimaeus has now positioned himself to beg. To beg from all the crowds that have gathered together on the road, knowing that people are going up to Jerusalem to worship God, to worship Him for all of His generosity, pouring out His grace upon His people, saving them from their sins. An act of salvation He did not have to do. Bartimaeus is likely hoping that if I sit beside the road and beg, which was his normal practice as a blind man, that maybe these worshipers of the God of grace will be gracious and generous to me, that they will provide for me, that I might have something to live on. This was his normal income. Whatever he could scrounge from people passing by as he begged, here not just the crowds that are going by but Jesus is going by and he cries out when he hears that it's Jesus son of David have mercy on me he's an outcast he's a man on the fringe of society he actually offers nothing productive to society people look upon him with disdain he lives a life of shame begging for his sustenance day in and day out, living in darkness, and really having no hope for anything better. 
Jesus responds to him, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now this is the same question that Jesus asked the disciples. Back earlier, chapter 10, verse 35, the disciples came to Jesus, at least James and John did, and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Give us whatever we want. Jesus responded, What do you want me to do for you? Disciples wanted glory. They wanted a position in the kingdom of God. They wanted to be the greatest except for Jesus. To sit on his right and to sit on his left. They wanted success. They wanted wealth. They wanted nobility. They wanted notoriety. They wanted respect. And they asked for it. Give us whatever we ask of you. Bartimaeus is different. He doesn't ask for extraordinary glory position, privilege. All he asks for is ordinary help. Give me sight. I want to see again, Lord. I want to function as an, at least a somewhat normal human being in this life. I think we all know what it's like to feel a sense of incompleteness as fallen creatures who live in a fallen world. Sometimes it's health issues. Sometimes we feel the corruption of our own physical flesh that is broken down and doesn't function the way that it's supposed to. Just like Bartimaeus' eyes do not function properly and you know that when that's the case, you feel less than human because you're not able to function in the way that God intended in a glorious fashion to reflect His image. Other times we feel incomplete because we're just lonely in life. And we wonder, is there anybody there for me? Or maybe it's a lack of purpose. I, I don't know what my life is all about. I don't know where it's going. I have no real assurance that anything good is going to happen in the future. We all feel the same sense of incompleteness. Sometimes it's depression. Sometimes anxiety about the future, or even about our current circumstances. And sometimes it's just the own corruption, our own corruption of our hearts. We often try to cover it up, just like I wanted to deny the fact that my eyes were getting worse. But it's there, and we know it to be true. I've told a number of you what my testimony is. I remember going off with a Christian youth group out to Colorado for a camp. This was in 1988, between Christmas and New Year's. It was a ski camp. It was there I began to hear the claims of the gospel. I was raised in the church. I had gone to vacation Bible school and Sunday school and all the various things that you do as a young child until such point as my parents said, we're no longer going to church because the church is too corrupt. Many families had left the church that we were going to because of some of the failings of the pastor and others who were in leadership. And I was so happy to not have to get up on Sunday mornings and go to church all over again. It was not until I began to hear the claims of the gospel a little bit clearer during that trip out to Colorado that I began to understand my own sense of desperation 
before the Lord. Just prior to that, I can remember the phone call coming to a friend of mine from the police asking him questions and interrogating him about a particular criminal act. Called me to tell me about it because I was a part of it too. We had to tell our parents. I don't think there was a time in which I felt more ashamed when I had to go to my parents and tell them what I did. Time in my life where many things were going wrong. The trajectory of my life was going in the wrong direction. And I began to sense as I sat out on a great boulder in Colorado, the desperation that I had in my life for for God to do something for me. I, I knew that he could forgive. I knew that from growing up. But I never really knew him. I began to see how desperate I was. How my selfishness and my pride throughout the years had had brought damage to my relationships with family and friends. And just how much I needed Christ. I knew I didn't deserve Him. Didn't deserve to be with Him. And yet He was gracious. Just like Jesus is in this passage with Bartimaeus. The crowd says, silence. And Jesus says, call Him. Bring Him to me. See, the kingdom of God, as it's been said before, is not for the well-meaning It's not for the churchgoers. It's not for the people who want to look respectable in life. It's not for people who feel good when they give away their money and feel like they're looking good in front of others. It's not for the well-meaning. It's for the desperate. How desperate are you? The last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus telling us some very difficult things over the last few chapters. He's talked about temptation to sin and if if we're tempted to sin we need to cut it off if our eye tempts us to sin gouge it out if our hand tempts us to sin cut it off we've seen the disciples who have begged to be the greatest who have begged to have position in the kingdom be rebuked by him we've seen how the rich young ruler has come to jesus and said what can i do to inherit eternal life and jesus sends him away unhappy and sad Because he realizes he can't do it. What Jesus has been doing in his teachings throughout the gospel of Mark. Is hold before the disciples. And hold before every one of his people. The reality there is nothing that you can do. In fact if you begin to see yourself as clearly as Bartimaeus sees himself. Then you recognize your own desperation before God. And the fact that you have nothing to offer to him. Because of the foulness of your life, the weakness of your flesh, the corruption of your own heart. And you know, when we're desperate, we often do things that we wouldn't normally do. You know that to be true. You find yourself in difficult financial straits and you come up with a scheme to to figure it out. Something that you would not normally do. And that's what Bartimaeus does. Calls out to Jesus here. It's something that in many respects the world seems, uh, considers crazy, considers foolish, that some man from Palestine, a poor man from Palestine that lived 2,000 years ago can do something about my problems, can do something about my sense of desperation. How could that possibly be the case? Yet 
Bartimaeus sees something else besides his desperation. And he sees this. This is the second thing. He sees Jesus as his only hope of salvation. Yes, the crowds rebuffed Bartimaeus, but he cried out all the more. And Jesus did what they did not expect. That he would care for an outcast. That he would heal this blind man. You know, I think Bartimaeus probably trembled with anticipation, wondering, what would Jesus do? What could he do? Would he actually heal me? Maybe he had heard the news about Jesus and thought, if Jesus can heal a leper, if Jesus can raise the dead, maybe he could do something about my eyesight. Maybe he had heard that, that Jesus read the words from Isaiah chapter 61 in the synagogue at Nazareth and applied them to himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Maybe Bartimaeus had heard these reports about Jesus and he thought maybe Jesus can do something about it. And he comes begging Jesus and crying out in faith. He was convinced that Jesus could heal and Jesus does and says, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. But mercy in the heart of the Savior. What mercy? How little mercy we actually experience in this life from other people. And yet what great mercy, oceans of mercy are in the heart of Christ. And he pours out on Bartimaeus the mercy of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Think of all the days that Bartimaeus begged and he sat by that roadside begging people, just, just throw me anything that I could have a little piece of bread today. People passed by and ignored him. And now God passes by. And he stops. And he restores his sight. And he restores his dignity. And he makes him whole all over again. Isn't that glorious? That Jesus can save that way? That he could care for someone like that, identify someone in a crowd and show such mercy to him. I remember listening to talk radio a number of years ago and I heard about a U.S. diplomat who traveled over to the Middle East. They landed in the airport there the airport was very busy and he was traveling with several attendants who were with him. One of those attendants got separated from him. And a crowd began to grow in between him and the U.S. diplomat. And he was scared. He did not know the language. He did not know the people. He felt like they were hostile towards him. And he began to shout out for this man, for the diplomat to, to see him. The diplomat looked around eventually and he noticed that one of his attendants was not there and he looked back over the crowd and he spotted the man waving his hands and he shouted over the crowd, He is with me. And that's exactly what Jesus has done with Bartimaeus and with every one of his people who come to him in faith. That one's with me. That one is with me. When you come to Christ in faith, that's what he declares of you. 
And he blesses everyone who comes to him. Immediately, Bartimaeus recovered his sight. Seems foolish to the world to follow a man who lived 2,000 years ago in poverty in the land of Palestine. But it's not foolish if he can restore your sight, if he can heal lepers, if he can raise the dead. And if he can raise you too. It's not foolish. Bartimaeus knew it. God would have compassion upon him. And pour out his grace and mercy. And you know what the result is. Just like the book that I read to the children. Now Bartimaeus can see Jesus clearly. Remember when you first came to Christ? Before that, maybe you despised him. You rejected him. Maybe you respected him, but you certainly didn't want him to die for your sins. You didn't need that. And then you come to him. And you begin to see him clearly. His grace and compassion. His love and mercy towards you. And you love him dearly. And Once we look upon Jesus that way, we do what Bartimaeus did. He recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Bartimaeus followed him. Now, some scholars dismiss this and say, well, maybe Bartimaeus was just going to Jerusalem anyway, and that's why he followed. I don't think so. What would you do? If for your whole life you were living in darkness and you had nothing and you were despised and rejected and lived a shame-filled life, what would you do? You would get up and follow him, wouldn't you? You would want to be with the man who brought healing to you. And that's what Bartimaeus does. And now he's traveling to Jerusalem. On the road for the Passover feast. And maybe even for the first time singing those psalms of ascent. Glorious psalms. I bet nobody in that whole parade of people sang them like Bartimaeus. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Bartimaeus could sing that like no other. Do you know that help? You know it if you've been desperate. And you've seen the saving grace of Christ in your life. Here now Bartimaeus is walking up that dangerous road from Jericho to Jerusalem following Jesus with joy in his heart. And I think in, in a way that's like a parable of the Christian life, isn't it? We're following up that, that dangerous road and there are troubles ahead and we know it to be true. There were robbers on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. You know it from the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's trouble along the way and yet you're rising higher and higher and higher towards Christ. And you're following closely behind him. And you don't want to lose sight of him. But you want to be as close to him as you possibly can. And for people who have been in a position where they've known just how desperate they are. Just how corrupt their hearts are. And they've seen the grace and the mercy of God. That's what they want. 
They want to follow Jesus wherever it leads. Up the trouble winding road. Up the difficult path. Because that's where Jesus is. And that's where glory lies. And I want to be with Him. Have you followed Him? Do you see Him clearly? Do you know that He's your only hope of salvation? And are you walking behind Him? Trusting in His grace? Let's follow Bartimaeus up that same winding road by faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray for Your mercies upon us. We know that You are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We pray this morning that You would show Your mercy to us. Give us eyes to see Jesus more clearly, even as we see our own sense of desperation before Him, that we would cling to Him, laying hold of Him by faith, trusting in his mercies. This we ask for Christ's sake. Amen.